to the Mainline Podcast. It's raining everywhere except inside the Lloyd Noble Center, unfortunately, for our Sooners ladies team as their season comes to an end today as we record. Uh, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about, including men's basketball. So we'll jump right in. My name is Adam Jacquez. I'm joined alongside Colton Polson and Tyler Burton. Guys, how are we doing? Doing good, Adam. Uh, yeah, it was raining threes for the Irish. I contemplated taking off work a little bit early. I thought about maybe trying to catch this game, and then after seeing the halftime score uh, on the elliptical machine at the gym, I'm super happy that I decided not to. Uh, but yeah, tough way for the season to end, and we'll touch on that here in a sec. I mentioned it just before we hopped on, guys, but you lose by 48 points at home in the NCAA tournament. I think I would have rather just not gone. If I would have known that was the outcome, are you guys in the same boat? Adam, I know that you want to be in it regardless, and that's fine. But you lost by 48 at home. It was bad. I'd rather not go. It was bad. And right now it stings. We're just a couple hours after the end of that game. So it is a little bit different. I think two weeks from now, though, we'll be really happy about just, hey, we made it back to the tournament. We won a game. Uh, This program is certainly headed in the right direction. And um, there's a lot of optimism. You've got T-Rob potentially coming back, Maddie Williams coming back, and then Ani Yunusa, who's been on the bench pretty much the entire year with injury. Um, we'll see what she can do coming back after, you know, multiple seasons lost to injury, but she's a, a you know, a potential all big 12 player as well. So, um, there's a lot to like about where this program is headed and what they could do going forward with a lot of super seniors next year. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess we'll just kind of call an audible here. We'll start with women's basketball to kind of kick off the podcast. Yeah. Um, and as it just kind of wrapped up about an hour or so ago, uh, Notre Dame blasts Oklahoma 108-64. to And guys, this game kind of had sort of an OU Villanova Final Four type feel to it. I mean, the Irish dominated this game uh, from the opening tip. Outscoring Oklahoma, I believe it was 35-12 to in the first quarter. Uh, and taking a commanding 60-25 to 25 lead at the half. So uh, Notre Dame had four players finish the game in double figures, scoring the basketball, led by uh, Dara Mabry, who went 7-12 of 12 from, beyond the th- from beyond the arc, finishing with 29 points. Uh, Oklahoma was on the wrong side of history tonight, guys, as Notre Dame became the first team in men's or women's tournament history <laughs> to defeat a higher-seeded team by 40-plus points. So while Taylor Robertson, yes, she did pour in 19 points for the Sooners, it was never going to be enough. Uh, as they only knocked down six threes as a team and shot, I believe it was around 60% from the free throw line. So not the way that this team wanted to finish, and it was just all around a really, really tough night for Jenny Baranchek's team. This is what you had to worry about with this team. This Everybody knew, oh, you could score, but I mentioned a few weeks ago, anytime you get into postseason play, regardless of which sport, that the goals, the baskets, the defense – Everything gets a little bit more condensed, a little bit more serious. And you ran across a team who, whether it was just a bad shooting night for OU or whether Notre Dame was a good basketball team as far as, you know, the defensive side of the ball goes, I couldn't tell you, didn't watch. But you have to play defense. And you can't tell me that if you give up 108 points a game, regardless of how hot a team is shooting, that you played great defense that game. So this uh, is bound to happen. And hopefully, you know, as great of an offensive team as this is has been, excuse me, over the season, uh, hopefully the defense can catch up to it heading into next year and it can be a more well-rounded team. Yeah. Well, and I still the, think there's the, the ahead, biggest Adam. thing that I saw just defensively and what really got away from them in the first quarter was all those turnovers that OU averages on a game by game basis. I think they average over 13 or 15 a game and they just p- play with such great pace and they take a lot of risks and everything. And that's fine. 
uh, when you're playing maybe some lesser competition. But when you play a team like Notre Dame and you're turning it over, all of a sudden you're back in transition defense. You're losing players in transition. Um, that's where I think her name was Mayberry or, or Marbury. I can't remember her name exactly, mm-hmm. but um, where she had 29 points. She had, I think, 17 of those in the in the first quarter. And she was just wide mm-hmm. open in transition so many times, just nailing threes. Um, so, yeah, it, it piles on really fast. And then um, the offense, you know, on the flip side, plays about as good as your defense does, which is pressing, you know, trying just anything to, to try to come back on one shot. And it, it really wasn't working. Well, a 48-point loss is definitely not the way we wanted to finish the year, but there's still so many positive takeaways I think you can take from this season. You were ranked in the top 25 all season long. You made the conference tournament semifinals. Uh, and Jenny Baranchek's group, being able to host the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament on their home court, uh, a ton of positives I think that you can take away from year one of the Baranchek era. Um, now, guys, moving forward, obviously you're losing your two best players on your roster to graduation in Maddie Williams and Taylor Robertson, but this is still a really young well, basketball they both, team. They both have their their COVID year to come back potentially. Um, See, I thought the I thought that both of them were leaving after this season. I mean, I they, could be wrong. They could, the, they could choose to. If they, they could choose to if they want to, but I, it's not. I really don't know where they would necessarily go. Uh, I mean, the WNBA yeah. is some money. It's not significant. I mean, they could potentially make some of that NIL staying in town. Right, um, but I I don't know necessarily what they would go off and do, when, especially when you have such a special team and so much momentum here. Like they could be a Final mm-hmm. Four team next year. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah, and Jenny also has signed you know four new girls to the twenty twenty two recruiting class. They've got a couple five foot nine uh, you know guards that are top one hundred players, and then I also think they've got a couple like six foot three and above centers that are going to be joining the team as well next year. Which so we need. future is ex- yeah, which we desperately we need. need. So future. Sure. Future is extremely bright in Norman. Uh, let's not let today's outcome take away from that. Agreed. Agreed. I guess on the other hand, you've got men's basketball, uh, which wrapped up their season uh, the night before Sunday evening against uh, St. Bonaventure. And I don't know, like it's the NIT. So I really wasn't going to take a whole lot if they went all the way or, or won it. Um, but just felt like the entire season uh, really at this point where, you just kind of go through the motions and you get beat in a close game at the end of the, the day. It was, it would perfectly summed up the season, right? I mean, you have multiple chances to win that game on your home court and a few shots don't fall at the end of the game. You end up losing. It did seem like for the crowd that was there, it was a, it was a pretty exciting environment. Teams were getting up and down. It's, it was a fun game to watch. Um, but Sooners fall season over, um, I think I'm, I'm a bit, maybe it's just because they were in the NIT and they looked probably better than they did, you know, throughout conference play specifically, but I, I'm, I think I'm a bit more optimistic, um, mm-hmm. kind of after what I saw heading into next season. But one thing guys that I found really interesting was just taking a look around the NCAA landscape and seeing how many guys are now impactful players at their current teams that used to play in Norman. Mm-hmm. And a few of those, obviously the first and foremost sticks out to use Brady Manic at UNC out there throwing bows, getting kicked out of games, uh, you know, almost uh, causing his team to, to lose heading into the Sweet 16. But he's averaging 15 points per game. Uh, Trey Phipps, granted, it's an ORU, but there's another 8.4 points a game. Uh, Davion Harmon, 12.9 points a game up at Oregon. Alondis Williams, who I think was the ACC Player of the Year. Yep. Uh, over at Wake, averaging 18.8 points a game. Cam Mcgusty, granted this was before Porter's time, Cam Mcgusty, 17 points a game down at Miami. And even a guy like Kirk Queth up at uh, Marquette, five points per game, 2.5 blocks per game. There's a starting lineup right there. 
that has transferred away. So as much as I think OU has benefited from from the portal, and certainly in some ways, especially in the Porter's first year, man, you keep those guys around right now. I mean, this is that's the type of talent that a Buddy Heald, Ryan Spangler, Isaiah Cousins team had that got to the Final Four. Um, so the transfer transfer portal giveth, and the transfer portal taketh away. It definitely would have had the capability of being a Final Four type mm-hmm. roster if you would have been able to keep three Especially or four of those guys. This year. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about three or four of those guys that are going to be starters. Then you also factor in Elijah Harkless, mm-hmm. Emoja Gimson, maybe coming off the bench, being that six man shooter type guy. Um, it's going to be really interesting going forward. You know, we talked about with Jenny Bronchek's team, you know, kind of setting the foundation, setting the standard, building the culture in year one. You know, Porter ultimately didn't make it to the NCAA tournament, but I still think there's a lot of positives that you can take away uh, from his first year here in Norman. Now, moving forward, it'll be very interesting to see what this roster looks like moving forward. Now, obviously, we're kind of waiting now on the decision of Mo Gibson, whether he's going to come back for one more year. Elijah Harkless is going to be back. You are losing Jordan Goldwire and Marvin Johnson. They're gone. We think there's a very good chance that uh, Rick Asanza is going to enter the transfer portal. Um, Porter Mosier, if you look at what OU is doing recruiting-wise in this 2022 class, a couple guys are going to be joining uh, this basketball team this summer. Uh, You've got a couple really, really good guards, one from Las Vegas, one from out on the East Coast, both big-time scores. And what did we talk about all season long? OU didn't really have a player um, outside of Mo Gibson, I think, towards the final three to four weeks of the season that you could consistently rely on to get you a bucket in crunch time, um, ultimately when you needed to make a play. So, um, Corbin, throwing this back over to you, I think that it is kind of telling right now and and very interesting. Um, Porter didn't take a center in the 2022 class. Yeah. you're losing Rick Asanza to the transfer portal, most likely. He's a seven foot one guy. Ultimately, didn't factor into what Oklahoma did all season long. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And you wonder if Porter Mosier is going to look to use the transfer portal to help beef up the interior uh, on that OU front court. You would think so. Um, I think big men in college basketball are very similar to running backs in the NFL. You can win without an elite one, you just need a solid big guy in there to kind of control the paint. Um, yeah. I mean, granted, you do look like at a, at a Gonzaga, for example. They've got some pretty elite big guys, yes. um, but both big guys that can handle the ball, too. It's not like they're a back-to-the-basket. And in comparison, you take, um, I forget his name, but a uh, the big guy from Illinois who's a back-to-the-basket, big presence, um, went off last season up up to you know when they got upset in the NCAA tournament. So I, I think you, you need a big, solid body. He doesn't have to necessarily be a, a – impactful contributor averaging 15 20 points a game obviously you'd take that but i think Mm -hmm. especially the way porter plays um i think it is a a, in my opinion watching this team it's a a guard driven type of uh game plan so i think those two pickups are are great and i said yeah for the time being i do think the uh the transfer portal is the answer for um any of the big guys inside yeah i think there's other guys that you could look at on the roster too that might be gone um jalen hill is one that you know, he just, he's kind of there and no one's really talking about him. But if mm-hmm. I'm Jalen Hill, I'm sitting there going, yeah, look at what Brady Manick did. He transferred to UNC, a, you know, blue blood type of program going far in the NCAA tournament. And then look back behind you at what is on the OU roster and say, is it really going to be that much different going into 2023? Eh, you know, maybe he has an opportunity to go to somewhere like a UCLA or, you know, somewhere else UNLV. that he's from Vegas. Yeah. I mean, somewhere, yeah. somewhere that might have more uh, of a higher ceiling. Um, same thing with Mo Gibson. He's not going to transfer to another college. Um, he, he would come back to OU or he probably, what would be my advice is 
go to Italy, make six figures, get an Italian girlfriend, try some chicken parm really good. You know, Um, all of those sound like better options than coming back to a team that, in my opinion, I don't think that the ceiling necessarily changes next year. I don't think this is a sweet 16 team. I don't think that you can pick up the types of players in the portal, or I don't think you have freshmen coming in that are necessarily going to move the needle that much. It's probably a one and one win and done in the tournament type of maybe best case scenario. I'm not sure I'm there. I mean, this team lost eight games this year within four points. I mean, that's, I mean, you're close to not just making the tournament. You're close to being a decent seed in the tournament. Half those things mm-hmm. go your way. Is Kevin Kruger still the coach at UNLV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He recruited okay. Jalen, if I remember correctly. He, yes. Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly as well. So that's definitely an option. And like you said, Corbin, you know, in Porter Moser's scheme, what he likes to do offensively, you don't need to have a big man that, you know, can score 12 to 15 points a night. Yes, that's a, you know, that's an added bonus, but, you know, priorities, you want to have somebody that can, you know, guard the guard the paint, protect the rim, uh, control the boards. So I know that that's something that, you know, Tanner Groves kind of struggled with all season long was was rebounding on both ends of the floor. So we'll see what uh, what kind of splash Porter Mosier can have in the transfer portal and um, look forward to the offseason. Who, who are you more optimistic in right now, the men's program or the women's program? It's got to be uh, women's, ooh. easily. Uh, simply Why because easily? I mean, they were the four seed this year. They have all their stars and all Big 12 players uh, coming back next year in potential. Like, yeah, but at least they were there (laughs) to to lose by 48. It's one game versus uh, an entire body of work from this season. And I think for me, the biggest thing is that Tanner Groves, I don't want to call him a bust, but he just hasn't been what we thought he was going to be. And I don't see him changing much going into next year. And you're kind of stuck with him. Um, you can't really, you get could shift at- him to the four and he'd be fine. But then I, I think, think he, he gets exposed even well more enough. defensively. Yeah. He, and he needs to shoot the ball better if he's going to go to the four in sure. my opinion. So, yeah. so I think you kind of have yourself in a little bit of a hole here where you still need to rebuild the roster. And now you're delaying that by another year because Tanner Groves is back. Um, and I just don't think that you're going to get anything better than him in the portal. Um, I think that I think that it's the women's program, specifically for the answer that you've given multiple times, Adam. It's the competition level across women's college basketball. You know, once you get kind of outside the top ten, or you know, I think that Notre Dame was a top twenty team. Once you get outside of that top fifteen to twenty, the talent gap between these teams is so it's such a wide margin between the competitiveness among how good these college basketball teams are on the women's side of things. So how, um, how it, far is Ginny gone as a head coach in the NCAA tournament? I, could, I do not have that yeah, information in front of me. Couldn't answer that question. Um, but how far is Porter gone in the NCAA tournament? He's been a final four, Yeah, but he's, he, that matters. He, he needs to build up the, the men's team. And I think there's a difference here between the women's team being, I don't want to call it rock bottom, but they were headed that direction the last couple of years before Jenny uh, Baranchek showed up. The men's team was already good, and I still think that they are good right now. But to go from good to Final Four contender is a much harder leap than to go from you know pretty bad to playing in the NCAA tournament, especially in the women's sports. So he's, well, he's got a much harder climb, even though it's a shorter distance, in my opinion. And let's not forget, too, what Porter Moser and Jenny Baranchek did this year was with Sherry Cole and Long Kruger's players. So they still don't have their guys and girls, what their type of players are that they recruit um, that fit the scheme that they want to run on the court. Um, It'll be interesting to see. I I think that right now, at the end of this 2021 season, both basketball programs right now are in a much better situation than they were 12 12 months ago. Women's for sure. Women's for sure. I mean, if you're if we're going by by tournament, the men made the tournament last year. 
It's true. It's a good point. It looks like yeah. Jenny Bronchek at Drake made. I want to say she D. made a sweet sixteen. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, first round. So this might be her best. Her best postseason year is just winning the first game with OU. Granted, yeah. it's yeah. Um, you know it's Drake, so it's a little bit different situation there. But yeah, but I, then it goes back to the point: if the talent gap is you've got a top heavy, I, it, you can go round and round. And I'm not dogging the women's program by any means, but I'd rather have a person who's done it at a higher level yeah. Yeah. leading the program forward. So that's just me. It's just my opinion, but you know, we'll see. Hopefully they both succeed and we get back to the days where both of them are going to final course at the same time. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, last point here on basketball that we need to mention is our bracket contest. That's currently ongoing. I, I believe my non eligible for the prize bracket is currently sitting at second, but I think I have the fewest possible points remaining because my national <laughs> championship pick is uh, both of them are completely out. So uh, no shout out to yeah. me for that. Uh, but shout out to Sam Philbeck uh, for being first. Uh, he's got Gonzaga uh, currently in play still as his champion. And uh, he has quite a bit of uh, possible points remaining on the ESPN uh, predictor there. So I think there's a few uh, below him that have more potential points remaining. So it's still still wide open. We'll see how that uh, rounds out. So Tyler, where, where are you at in ranks right now? I'm uh, sitting at number 13 right now, but uh, I only have a possible points left of 640. So not necessarily Thanks. the best thing when you're two national championship teams, one gets beat by St. Peter's in the opening game. Uh, so appreciate Kentucky and John Calipari for that uh, in Tennessee, who I picked to win the whole thing. They got bounced in the round of 32. So uh, I, I survived uh, last night. Uh, I didn't stay up for the whole thing, but I have Arizona and they, they survive is probably an understatement against uh, against the Horton Frogs. How about just the mighty Big Ten? Why we're on it, just crushing the tournament, right? Like getting nine teams in, and they are garbage in the tournaments. Garbage. Yeah, and our yeah. future conference SEC not looking too hot either. I saw some people complaining about that, but I was kind of like, hey, that's honestly a good thing. I mean, we're going there. We might have some easier competition. I'll I'll take it. I mean, they're getting in. They're still respected enough to. Get several teams in, so I'll take it. Yep. Um, moving over to uh, baseball, uh, something I think we can all agree on. Not a very good week. Not a very good week at all for baseball. Um, went three and two. You know, uh, two took two midweek games against Air Force. A not very good baseball program. Um, sorry, military. Thank you for your service, uh, but they don't have nearly as much practice time uh, to dedicate there, so they're not really that great of a baseball program. Uh, and then, hates the uh, troops. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> and then one you and heard two, it here first. <laughs> one and two against New Orleans uh, in the weekend series. Pretty bad. Uh, New Orleans Ooh. did go, you know, two and one against Kansas earlier in the year. Kansas is a pretty bad baseball program. So they shouldn't be doing that to OU and Kansas. Um, in five games uh, this week, OU averaged a score of eight and a half to eight. So pretty high scoring. The pitching has completely... The starting pitching has been okay. The weekend starters have been been solid. I think you can like and, and accept what they have there uh, between those three guys so far. Uh, but once you get to that sixth inning, it just falls completely apart when the bullpen comes in. It's a complete disaster at that point. The hitting was something that we looked at early in the season and said, where's the hitting? Where's that? You know, when is that going to come along? It's here now. We're up to 290. We keep rising in the, in the, you know, the uh, national stats there. But, man, it's just one thing after another where you can't play complimentary baseball and you're dropping games to teams that are not so good. And then you're looking at, you know, some really tough big 12 competition. Mm-hmm. It's not going the way that skip needs it to go for what could be his last year in Norman. 
What's Oklahoma's record right now, Adam? Uh, I believe it's 12 and 7. Okay, so you're 12 and 7 right now, opening up Big 12 conference play this weekend. This is kind of a this is an important stretch for Skip Johnson's career. I mean, over the next seven to ten days, the wheels could kind of fall off of this thing uh, for OU baseball. Ultimately, you're hosting Baylor three game series this weekend. You've got to figure out a way to take two out of three uh, against the Bears because next Tuesday night. Um, you've got a uh, uh, midweek game against Oklahoma State down in Tulsa, and then you close out next weekend with the series at Globe Life Field in Arlington against Texas. So um, you got to figure out a way to take two out of three against the Bears because I am not confident in this group being able to win a series uh, against Texas. So got to figure it out. Is Toby Rowland still doing radio for baseball? He is, yes. and it's pretty sad to listen to um, because you can tell he's just as frustrated as, as we are. Does he need yeah. a new catchphrase? You know how you know put the ponies in the barn. Do we just need like the wheels have fallen off? Like that just kind of needs to be an annual round seventh eighth inning. Just go ahead and insert that right in there. Yeah. There. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Just play the uh, audio clip from the uh, schooner turning over uh, on the Fox <laughs> broadcast a couple of years ago. <laughs> ouch, so. ouch. Yeah. I guess the one saving grace, and I mentioned it last week, is at least if the season kind of continues this way, it's an easy decision for Josie. Um, I don't want to be in kind of this, well, like, should we keep him? Should we give him one more chance? He's been living off of that 2020 year that didn't happen. Um, you know, lived through that mm-hmm. after the 2021 season. And now here we are. And it doesn't seem like things have improved that much. You've got a team against Baylor that's 10 and nine that has some really bad losses and some really good wins. So I don't know what to expect out of Baylor. Yeah. I guess uh, if they have bad losses, maybe that means OU will beat them. But um, yeah. He, but Adam, I mean, you're, you're just looking at it, you know, you've got Baylor at home this week, and then you've got a series against Texas in in Dallas. Uh, then you go to Kansas. You have to go to Oklahoma State for, in Stillwater three to three times. So, And then you close out the year on the road uh, in Lubbock against Texas Tech, another top 25 baseball team. So the opportunities are going to be there for Skip Johnson's crew to be able to build up some wins uh, and raise that RPI value. But I, this bullpen right now, if they can't figure it out, I don't care how good your starting pitcher is. Once you turn it over to your bullpen in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning, um, it's been a nightmare for this team for the first you know six, eight weeks of the season. Adam, yeah. your comments there just make me think we need a new segment called Optimistic Adam, and you give us one good thing that's happening in this baseball segment once a week because it doesn't seem like there's much. There's oh. plenty of optimism, though, at uh, Marita Hines. <laughs> yes, I'll need a week sure. to think about that. Let's go to softball. <laughs> <laughs> yep, head to softball, guys. Uh, I feel like at this point, I could probably just record myself each week, and we can just kind of insert this, that uh, Sooners go through the weekend, score a lot of runs, and they run rule everybody. Uh, Sooners now 25-0 and 0 with 21 run rules on the year. Uh, just beating through the Hall of Fame Classic, 10 1, 15 1, 11 0, 8 0, and 20 0. Uh, granted, all of these teams are very subpar opponents, but doing, we've been saying this every single week, doing to bad teams what great teams do to bad teams, exactly what's happening. All of those wins in run rule fashion. Um, looking forward, guys, um, you know, I think we are, Adam, I think you brought up this stat 15 wins away from breaking this school win streak record, which would be pretty impressive. Uh, upcoming, Maybe the hardest game on the schedule, you know, kind of depending on how you view it. Uh, and that is tomorrow night, Tuesday night at number 13, Kentucky, uh, a team that the Sooners should beat. 
but a team that can also beat them. And, uh, you know, reason being in a three game series against Alabama last weekend, Kentucky took one of three. Uh, and that was on the road as well. They also have wins against Michigan and Arizona earlier this year. So Sooners will have their hands full, I think, tomorrow night um, at Kentucky and then heading into next weekend against Baylor, who they have already beaten once this year. I think that was in run-wolf fashion as well. So don't expect much um, much challenge from the Sooners uh, in Norman this weekend to kick off Big 12 play. But guys, I'm kind of excited about tomorrow night and seeing, um, you know, a pretty good jersey matchup too with that blue and uh, crimson uh, on the diamond should be fun. Yeah. And not to take anything take anything away from Kentucky, you know, losing two out of three to Alabama. Alabama's got one of the most, you know, decorated pitchers in softball history in Montana. Yeah, number, Fouts, three in the country. So number three in the country. She threw another no hitter against the Wildcats this past weekend. So it's going to be a really, really good test going on the road to Lexington for yep. Patty Gasso squad, you know, 20, 25, 25 and 0, 21 run rule wins. I mean, we're kind of running out of superlatives to, to talk about this lineup and this pitching staff. So uh, it's going to be a big one tomorrow night in Lexington on the SEC Network at 6 p.m. And then we can look forward to uh, OU versus Baylor. Yeah, I, I think once you get past Kentucky, if you can get a win there, you can really start thinking a little bit more seriously about breaking that win streak record. Still going to be some tough teams to play after that, but getting there, I think it could happen at North Texas, um, you know, if you can get past Kentucky and the uh, I don't know if you guys knew this. The national win streak record is 47 games, and it's held by Arizona. So that's a number we're all familiar with. So we'll see if the Sooners can break that. That could, uh, I believe, could still happen in the regular season. Um, just a couple more games. I think they'll they'll need 42 to break the school record, 47 to break the national record. But certainly some some tough games that are are here and in the way. Corbin, were there any intentional walks with Jocelyn over the weekend, or are we kind of back to business as usual where pitchers are choosing to pitch to her? She has now hit 100 home runs, so they at least pitched to her Ooh. twice. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're pitching to her like normal. Uh, maybe some pitch arounds. I think it's probably fair to say she'll continue to see that for the rest of her career as long as she plays softball. Yeah. Um, but I think the uh, you know intentional walk segment is done. But, guys, I think you're right. I mean, I'm looking right now in uh, updated rankings today. Uh, Oklahoma State at 10, Texas at 16. But, I mean, guys, we've been keeping an eye on both those teams, thinking they were going to be significant competition. And up to this point, it sounds like they're starting to play better. At least both those teams had a rocky start. So I do think you're spot yeah. on, Adam. You get through this, uh, you know, non-conference kind of one-off game this week. It, it it would be hard not to start previewing like, okay, just knowing what the Sooners typically do in Big 12 play, are we looking at an undefeated season heading into uh, into postseason? Yeah. For sure. Well, let's move on to the uh, uh, meat and bread of tonight's podcast episode, and that is OU football returning to action tomorrow uh, with spring practice getting underway first thing tomorrow morning. Guys, to me, this is this has got to be the most intriguing spring in Norman in a long, long time. I, I kind of put it back there with you know Lincoln Riley's first, uh, f- first season all the way back in 2017, but you had Baker Mayfield and a lot of talent coming back, so – there wasn't quite as much, I don't know if uneasiness is the right word, but the the foundation, you could feel more comfortable with Baker coming back. Now you've got a lot a lot of uncertainty, a lot of new faces, new staff, a lot of new players at key positions. Um, and Brent Venables, we got to hear from him a little bit uh, a little bit earlier today. He met with the media for just over an hour uh, as the dog makes an appearance on the podcast. And guys, it kind of feels like we've got more quotes from Brent Venables in his first four months than we got in the entire five years from uh, from Lincoln Riley. So did you guys have a chance to listen to BB at all? 
I did. And yeah, he doesn't stop talking, uh, which is kind of crazy. 21 minutes for <laughs> I know. opening remarks. I know. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how that continues once we get into the actual season, because he'll probably be more pressed for time. He'll probably be more exhausted after a game, yada, yada. Yeah. But if we can get him to continue to you know talk, especially when there's actually meat to talk about and not just philosophy, which is great. I love hearing all the things he says about, you know, how they got to take care of, you know, the details and things like that. That's really exciting to hear. Mm -hmm. But once we actually have a game to talk about, that'll, I think will be pretty cool to hear exactly what's going through his mind because he kind of talks without filter in in a good way. So um, I'm excited. Um, I do still kind of like we talked about a couple weeks ago. I want to have some actual proof on the field. I want to be able to say, here's what his defense looks like. Here's what his team runs like, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to every single word of that press conference, uh, mainly just due to sheer time, uh, you know, <laughs> and sitting down and listening to the whole thing. But I did hear a little bit of the podcast today from uh, from our, our guy, Bad Turnup Seed. Uh, he can talk yeah. too. So it, yes. it makes sense that they are, uh, you know, in the same boat. I'm, I'm with you, Adam. I, I mentioned it last week, a few weeks ago. I don't care about what's being said right now. I really don't. I know we got to talk about it because we have to, because uh, yeah. there's nothing else going on. But I'm ready for some action. I'm ready to start seeing spring ball getting underway. Uh, and maybe we can, you know, get some more insight on the program than what we've had in the past heading into uh, into next year. After listening to Thad speak and multiple press conferences from Brent Venables, it's very easy to see why Thad Turnipseed is so good at raising money and building programs. Uh, and it's also very easy to see why Brent Venables is such an elite recruiter once he's able to sit down in front of these kids and families. But, uh, you know, we, we've still got a long way to go with, with all this. But, you know, like I said, spring football gets underway tomorrow. And, you know, guys, four months into the Brent Venables era, the confidence, the excitement that he's instilled into this team, into this program and the fan base – for me, all the way up to now till March 22nd when this thing comes out tomorrow, to me it's kind of mission accomplished in terms of what OU's been able to do. You know, it was complete turmoil once Lincoln Riley decided to leave the day after Bedlam, but what Joe C. and Brent Venables have been able to do with this program over the course of the last three and a half to four months, uh, I can't wait to see where this goes from here. So, guys, ultimately spring football, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Brent Venables talked about it today. Depth chart, past evaluations of players – completely throwing it out the window. It's a blank canvas. Everybody's going to be judged from tomorrow going forward. But I do kind of want to touch on a few different things on both sides of the football uh, because there are a lot of interesting storylines and things that we're going to be able to follow over the course of the next five to six months uh, as we get closer to the first game against UTEP. So, Adam, starting with you, man. Offensive line is one that I think is going to be really interesting to evaluate uh, over the course of spring ball once we get closer into fall camp. Um just kind of what are some of your thoughts on the offensive line position battles? Yeah, I kind of penciled down a quick depth chart um, just to, based on the names that we have. And I think the thing that stood out to me was, yikes, there's not a lot of depth here. Um, so basically, if, if you ask me, I would put uh, Savion Bird, uh, Matower, uh, Andrew Rain, Murray, and then uh, Morris at uh, right tackle. And then in the wings, you've got Anton Harrison and Robert Conjol. And then uh, I don't know what else you have. <laughs> They're necessarily mm-hmm. Bray Walker. Um, you Jake know, maybe Taylor. Tyler Guyton. Yeah. Jake Taylor. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, it's pretty thin. And I guess you could say, Hey, that left tackle is probably the most spotlight position right now. Um, Anton Harrison had kind of an up and down year is a new offensive coordinator going to help him. He's still got the same coach. Um, you've got a really hungry on fire Savion bird right behind him that certainly has a ton of talent. So that's, I think the most interesting one for me. 
there's always a premium place on the left tackle position, but it kind of flips now to the right tackle being the most important because you've got a Southpaw quarterback. So the right tackle is going to be protecting his blind side. And, you know, guys, we've talked about it time and time again, the offensive line play has kind of digressed over the last couple of seasons. And I think the one position group that might have the most to gain with the return of Jerry Schmidt is the offensive line. We heard it from Brent Venables today. Uh, when media members were asking about the depth chart, and he said it perfectly, of course, even though Bill Beanbow is still the offensive line coach, you've got a new head coach, you've got a new offensive coordinator. So they're going to treat the depth chart this spring, like I said, as a blank canvas. So does Bill Beanbow probably have a good idea who's going to be in that top five or six? Sure. Uh, but there's still a lot of unknowns that have to be um, ironed out this spring uh, and even well into fall camp. Um you lost two veteran players in uh, in Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes. So we think Andrew Rame is going to be your center. Uh, we think you should be able to pencil in Anton Harrison at left tackle, Chris Murray at right guard, um, Juan Morse at the right tackle spot. But who knows? You've got McCabe Matower, uh, the three-year starter from Cal, who transferred in to go along with guys like Savion Bird and Aaron Parks. And like you said, Adam, I'll even throw Bray Walker in there as well. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities uh, in, the, in front of Bill Beanbow and guys – like you said, Corbin, I'm not ruling out Jake Taylor as being a guy that's uh, going to be able to come in and compete for playing time right away. See a tackle. Or see the inside. I think they'll start him out at tackle. Yeah. Will you give him any real shot at starting day one? I don't think so, but if he shows if he shows up in shape, if he, I, I think the biggest thing for him is going to be upstairs schematics, since he's not an early enroll guy. Um, can't he grasp True. the playbook over you know from June, July, and August? Um, that I think that's going to kind of be his uh, his biggest obstacle to overcome. And then, and Jacob Sexton, he's moving inside, right? I think he's inside. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. For offensive linemen, I see the biggest challenge is just getting your body into a college player um, weight, into you know the the strength that you need to have, and um, mm-hmm. a lot of those guys just dominate high school level because they're just literally bigger, um, but mm-hmm. not. Yeah. You know, all big isn't necessarily equal. Uh, once you get into college, everybody's going to be huge. So um, I, I think it's really tough to start on the offensive line as a true freshman. That's that's really yeah. difficult to do. Who's Fair. the last guy that did it? I can't. I don't think I can. Orlando Brown, maybe? Orlando Brown? Okay, so that's, that's not it, too yeah. far removed. But like you said, I mean, it's it's one of the hardest things to do in football is to start on the offensive line. So, mm-hmm. uh, guys, let's move over to Kale Gundy's room um, and talking about the wide receiver position. I think it's pretty clear and obvious Marvin Mims, wide receiver number one going into this season. So I did kind of want to pose a question to you guys. Who do you think emerges as the Robin to Marvin Mims' Batman in this, uh, this, this season? First off, how insulting to Drake Stoops that Marvin's just automatically the Batman heading into next season. Uh, but no, for real, I think you got to look at Theo Weiss. you got to look at Jaleel Farouk. Those got to be the two guys that, you know, yeah. have the most to have the highest ceiling, at least of what we know of. Um, in contrast, to what we're saying about the offensive line, also keep your eye out for like a, a Nick Anderson, a big guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff Levy loves those big wide receivers. We don't have a lot on that this team, um, at least on the current roster. So that could be an interesting fit as well. Um, but yeah, Theo and Jaleel have to be kind of be those two that you kind of pencil in to, to be that wide receiver two and three. Anybody else you guys can think of? Yeah, for me, I would like to know if Cody Jackson and Trevin West have anything more to offer. Cody Jackson, you know, had an injury plagued year last year, but people were talking highly of him. Uh, Trevin West, a guy that tried to transfer out, decided to come back, um, had a couple of plays here and there where you were like, whoa, that dude can move. 
Um, he probably mm-hmm. needs to bulk up a little bit, but can either of those guys take another step or maybe even a Brian Darby, for example, like, do they have more to offer than, um, what we've seen so far? Um, so you're definitely gonna need some more guys to step up. There needs to be a lot more, more depth there. Well, Adam, we'll have you send Trayvon West your uh, macros and your protein powder that you consume on a daily basis. But no, Tra- Trayvon West and Brian Darby um, both made their fair share of plays last season and flashed at times. I think that the key for them uh, is going to be consistency and are they going to be able to earn the trust of Dylan Gabriel as playmakers that he can rely on uh, on a consistent basis. And Adam, you touched on it. A guy that I'm really excited about uh, is Cody Jackson. It kind of seems like he kind of became the forgotten guy in that room last year. Obviously, we really didn't get a chance to see him play. He was dealing with some medical issues. Uh, he was battling those all season. So I think giving him a full off season, he has a chance to be a factor in Jeff Levy's offense uh, later this fall. Do you find it either concerning or, I guess, more comforting? Because Kale Gundy knows you know, these guys pretty well. He knows this team. We didn't really seriously go after any type of potential transfer portal guy here. It was pretty set in stone. These were the guys they wanted. And I look at this group and I think, yeah, I'd probably like a little bit more depth here. You would definitely like to have one or two more players. I was going back and looking at, you know, kind of a projected depth chart and a couple guys or all the guys that have the wide receiver uh, position listed next to their name. It is very thin at wide receiver if you lose one or two guys. Ultimately, the biggest question all offseason long, uh, as guys are going through spring football, as guys are going through summer workouts and fall camp, being able to stay healthy all the way, getting you to the starting line, which is week one against UTEP. But, you know, outside of Drake Stoops, you know, you've got Theo Weiss, Shalil Farouk, um, Marvin Mims. You know, we've talked about Trayvon West, Brian Darby, Jaden Gibson's also another one, another one. But you lose one or two guys, you are very, very thin at wide receivers. So ultimately, we think that another round of transfer transfers are going to be making their way in the portal as spring football gets underway. We'll see if OU can't, uh, can't pick somebody out there. You wonder if that is kind of a unspoken re- residual of, of kind of the Lincoln Riley effect and the way he left was the inability maybe to pull a couple more bodies from the transfer portal. Granted, it could have played out by now, but a lot of the top guys that were in the transfer portal probably were waiting out the coaching decision or hopped on a spot they could get onto. So that may be something that is kind of just one of those things, just kind of the way it played out that we lost out on anybody that we thought could truly help, you know, that, uh, that position group and, we're stuck with what we have for now, which I still think is a very good group. Yes. I think one of the biggest parts too, or one of the most exciting parts about spring football are the newcomers being able to see the, the recruits that you just signed a couple months ago. Uh, so Adam, starting with you, man, give me one freshman that you think has a chance to make the biggest impression this spring to set himself up nicely for the fall. How about a guy that we probably should have mentioned a moment ago, but haven't yet is Jaden Gibson. Uh, the uh, the mm-hmm. highly rated uh, wide receiver. He might have even been the highest uh, recruit that we got in the class at the end of the mm-hmm. day. And receiver is a position where you can have an instant impact. Um, you're running back's the other one, but um, you could certainly see receiver being that. And um, there's plenty of catches to be made, um, plenty of opportunities there. I think Mims is solidified. Weiss, I guess you could kind of say it's solidified based on his 2020 mm-hmm. year, but he's coming off an injury. So it, there's a big opportunity for a freshman wide receiver to come in and be an instant impact type of guy. Yep. I know, uh, you know, I, had, I wrote down three guys we've talked about a couple already, Nick Anderson and Jake Taylor. Those are two on my list. Javante Barnes is probably the one that's on Damn the top it. of my list though. Sorry, Tyler. Um, granted, you've got a Marcus major and Eric gray that are going to come back. You would probably think that those two are going to take the, uh, the, the mass bulk of the carries, but at the same time, 
if we know anything about Jeff Levy's offense, he's going to run the ball. And so I think that is going to be a position that uh, you're going to need fresh legs and, you know, a, a top 100 rivals kid out of Vegas. You would think he's uh, would probably be next in line to start getting some of those carries. Yeah, I had Javante Barnes number one on my list. I think that he has an opportunity to have a big impact right away this fall because of one, the talent, that's obvious. He's a dynamic back with the ball in his hands. But most importantly, guys, him getting into campus as an early enrollee just gives him a huge leg up uh, when it comes to speed and strength development with Schmitty, familiarizing himself with the playbook and Levy's system and beginning to build that confidence up, not just for himself internally, but the confidence that the coaches and players around him have have in him. So I fully expect Javante to be a factor. Um, and likewise with returning guys, Corbin, we'll start with you on this one. Give me one returning player that either has to take that next step or you're just excited to see what he can do under this new staff. This is yeah. offense we're sticking with here. Yeah, 100%. I think we spoke about him a little bit. Uh, Andrew Rame has to take Damn that it, next Corbin. step. Damn it, Corbin. Yeah, I'm sorry. You told me to go hey. first. Uh, I'll let you talk about Andrew Rame. Then for me, the second one is Marcus Major. Um, nice. For the exact reasons that we just discussed, this is going to be an offense that is going to run the football, no doubt about it. This team is going to be successful. It has to run the football. Um, and Marcus Major is the body type, is the type of running back you can see in a Jeff Levy offense. And for it to make sense and for him to be the guy moving forward so that would be my my top one if uh, if i'm gonna let you have andrew rame tyler well i really appreciate that uh andrew rame what, what was the biggest knock on this kid a year ago we heard the the same things repeated from bill beanbow creed humphrey and even gabe eichert uh it's his strength um mm-hmm. he's got the middle part of it down he plays with a high motor uh that nastiness that, that you want in a uh, su- supreme offensive lineman he just needed to get stronger so i can't think of another player <clears throat> on this roster that could benefit from Jerry Schmidt being back in Norman. So if he can build on what he did last season, continue to improve his technique and get stronger, especially in his upper body, look out for this kid in 2022. How about Anton Harrison? He's a guy that I mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. I think his mm-hmm. starting yeah. position is certainly up for grabs and he needs to have the type of spring and, and fall camp that says, Hey, I'm taking this seriously and I, I want that position. I'm going to be an all big 12 type of player at left tackle. Um, otherwise, yeah. you've got a highly talented Savion Bird that's ready to take that position. So maybe it's a good thing if Bird is past him, but at the same time, I want some high-level competition. Um, I definitely want a guy that could, you know, and maybe play right tackle or back up in emergency situations, but somebody that's just ready to contribute there. Yeah, completely agree with you. And guys, let's flip over here as we kind of wrap this thing up uh, over to the defensive side of the football. One of the things I th- think is going to be the uh, most most interesting thing to watch. We may not get a real good taste of it this spring. It might take us a few games into fall can- or into the fall season, but I still think it's it's something that's fun to talk about. And it's the biggest differences we're going to see in Brent Venable's scheme compared to what we've seen the last few years with Alex Grinch. So, Corbin, throwing it over to you, are you going to be keeping your eye out for something or – What's maybe one or two things that you're like, okay, really excited that BB's in town uh, and Alex Grinch is uh, out there in LA? Yeah, I'll be excited for a couple things. Uh, one, just the dynamic of how Venables is going to handle the defense as a head coach. Um, for a guy who seems to be, and as we know, his time in Norman, very hands on the defense as far as pass play calling. It sounds like he may give that up. Um, I think word on the street is still that's probably an open-ended question of what that exactly means based mm-hmm. on what I've seen and heard. Um, but I think that'll be really interesting just to see how much of a, a grasp he's going to have on that defense as far as 
maybe micromanaging. Um, could that be a negative? Is he so talented as a defensive play caller that ends up being a positive? There's a lot of dynamic there that I think will be really interesting to watch. Um, and I think the second thing will be specifically him as well. How does this linebacker position catch up to what we need it to be in order to be, mm-hmm. become one of the best defenses in the country again? Um, he's not taking over a young group, but he's taking over a group that has experience, but maybe not as maybe the experience is is not at the level we all would have hoped for. And so I'll be really interested to kind of see how that linebacker group progresses uh, over the spring. Who are the, or go ahead, Adam. Yeah. I was just going to say in the press conference today, Venables talked about the non-negotiables, you know, the, the details, Mm -hmm. every piece of that. And so Mm -hmm. watching the Clemson defense over the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. I know one thing that really stood out to me was how much the entire defense flowed to the ball carrier. Um, it wasn't just one guy making the tackle and everyone else standing around watching. It was everybody flowing over there. And if he slipped that tackle, he was getting pummeled by two other guys that were arriving on the scene. And I think Grinch was getting the team to that point, but the consistency just wasn't there. It was kind of an up and down, yeah. you know, are we playing good? Okay, I'm going to, you know, pay attention to the details. If we're not playing good, then I'm probably going to let my guard down. And so Eventables is a guy that I think actually gets those details nailed mm-hmm. down no matter what the situation i think you'll see a lot more consistency from this defense going forward it's it's interesting talking about the possibility in which i guess is more than a possibility he's talked about it in a, in a you know recent press conference Brent venables is going to be giving up play calling duties ted roof is going to be calling this oklahoma defense so guys a question that i have for you just to is answer he here. though is well, he though? I, my question <laughs> to you guys who are the who are the two top tier elite programs in college football right now they just played a national championship game. Bama and Georgia. Bama and Georgia. It's Alabama and it's Georgia. Two defensive-minded head coaches. Yes, Nick Saban doesn't call a defense. Pete Golding does. Yes, Kirby Smart didn't call it. Dan Lanning did this past year. But you're telling me that Kirby Smart and Nick Saban aren't heavily involved in the decision-making and the game-planning behind what those two teams do on a yeah. weekly basis. Yeah. So, yeah, Ted Roof might be calling things, but you know for a fact that, Vin- that BV is going to be heavily involved yeah, in this you, uh, in that group on a weekly basis so you know that ted roof has a bracelet on that says wwvd what would venables do mm-hmm. and th- yeah venables wouldn't bring oh, on a guy like ted that. roof how dare you insult him adam <laughs> well i'm gonna stick up for him he's ted roof is, is that our first line of merch <laughs> that's probably right hey. when ted roof was announced hey. everyone kind of said what but then the more and more you think about it you know, maybe he's not the greatest linebackers coach ever. Maybe he's not the greatest defensive coordinator that's called his own defenses mm-hmm. ever. But Venables wouldn't bring him on if he didn't feel that Ted Roof knew exactly what Venables liked, what he wanted to call, right. how he wanted that defense to run, and was going to implement whatever without hesitation, you know, the head coach gave to him. So in a way, he's kind of the perfect person for that particular role. Yeah, he, I, I can... It may be something where, and even let's let's take it a step further. What you just said, Adam. Let's say he's not the perfect fit for Venables. We've all agreed in an earlier podcast. The big hire of Roof was what the doors he could open off the field. And so, if if that if those doors that can open off the field can outshine mm-hmm. his fallbacks in in coaching in being the defensive coordinator, whatever that is. I agree with you that I don't think he's a bad hire. I don't think this is a terrible hire by any stretch of the imagination, but clearly those other things that are non on the field related are going to outshine where I don't think Venables would have hired him. I think that this defense 
for a variety of different reasons, is going to look extremely different than what we've seen during Alex Grinch's time in Norman. Um, a few of the things that I'm excited about is, one, less rotations. We're going to keep our best players on the field more often throughout the game, especially in third downs. Uh, I know Nick Benito would have appreciated that. What a concept. Um, but but I kind of I think a couple more things as well. It's uh, it's the types of pressure. You know, when you go back and you watch Clemson defense during Venable's time here, especially the last four to five years, him being able to disguise pressure, not allowing the quarterback to dissect and figure out where it's coming from pre-snap, I think is, I think is one of the most genius things that Brent Venables does consistently uh, on a game by game basis. You know, you'll you'll look on any particular play, he'll have seven or eight guys up the line of scrimmage. And you don't know who's coming. You don't know who's dropping back. So uh, I think that that and probably the biggest thing for me, guys, and this is something that, again, we're not inside those walls. We don't exactly know the X's and O's, what Alex Chris was trying to accomplish. But time and time again, how many times have we come on this podcast and talk about the lack of in-game adjustments from Alex Grinch? You know, death by a thousand cuts. I bring up the West Virginia game every single time. That short pass 10 to 15 yards in the middle of the field was open every single time. You know, Seth Dagey should have thrown that 20 times throughout throughout that game. So I think that Venables, if there's one thing that we know from watching him at Clemson, he's going to be able to see what teams are doing that's giving them success against Oklahoma, and he's going to make adjustments during the game to be able to stop that. So I think that's going to be a refreshing uh, new form of defense, even though it's kind of football 101, try to take away what the other team's doing well against you. But I'm excited about that with Venables now, Norman. Yes, but he also was doing that with some of the most elite defensive players in college football. And let's not pretend that that's where OU's at at this current time. So I think for the next year, two years, maybe even three years before those recruiting classes that we believe will come, arrive in Norman and become developed, it'll be very interesting to see how those sort of schemes work with, let's be honest, the second tier, maybe even third tier on some positions of talent when you look at the college football landscape and their positions. I think outside of what Texas has, at their skill player position in the Big 12, the the rest of the league, OU has enough talent on defense to be able to combat whatever the other Big 12 teams want to do. So B. John, Xavier Worthy, and a couple other guys that they have, yeah, I could see them being able to give OU some fits just because they don't have the elite-level guys that uh, Venables was accustomed to uh, during his time at Clemson. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I'm jumping the gun a little bit on your next one here, Tyler. And it's something we talked about on Twitter this morning was – you know, who's going to have the biggest impact uh, as far as a defensive coach. And you left out the one guy that I wanted to pick here in those pictures that you posted on Twitter, which was Ted Roof, who I'm a little tongue in cheek saying that. And I'm cheating a little bit because he's got the greatest (laughs) safety net in his head coach coming in. And you know, Venables is going to work with those linebackers a little bit. Uh, And that was the weakest group last year is the weakest link in the chain. And so they have the biggest room to show improvement, in my opinion. You've got some talented guys in Stutzman. You've got some uh, very experienced, solid guys in Deshaun White that could potentially reach another level. So why not Ted Roof making the biggest impact when um, you have a, a big area to say, hey, here's how much we've improved because you're starting a little bit lower than those other groups? Mm-hmm. Corbin, what do you have? Or uh, Okay. Yeah, go ahead, no, I, I'll go first. I'll go first on this one. Um, I, I'm going to go with Jay Valai. I think that he has an opportunity to have a really big impact in year one. Um, if there's one thing that we know about Oklahoma football, especially recently, one of the things that's kind of held this Oklahoma defense back from kind of getting to that next level is we really haven't had elite cornerback play consistently throughout the year. I can't think of who's probably the, the latest and greatest corner that we've had at Oklahoma. Is it Aaron Colvin? Trey Brown, maybe? Zach Sanchez? So. 
Zach Sanchez is another good one. So I think that Jay Valai, um, his time and a few stops that he's had in his coaching career, Texas, Alabama, brief stint uh, in the NFL. I think that there's some players on st- on uh, on this current roster right now: DJ Graham, Woody Washington, uh, CJ Colton, the transfer from Wyoming, and then maybe even look out for a guy like Gentry Williams if he can come in this summer and uh, make an impact in a big way. But I think that Jay Valai as an opportunity to coach these guys up, and we might see an elevated level of play uh, from the OU cornerback position that we haven't seen in a long time here in Norman. For me, guys, it's Todd Bates. Um, it's the easiest question that we've asked on here in a while, in my opinion. And let's let's go. And to me, again, right now, I, I, I get we're about to hit on the field stuff, and that's all great and dandy. But the doors he's opening off the field as far as recruits and high-level recruits on the defensive line, no doubt in my mind he's going to have a massive impact right away in this initial recruiting class. And we all know that championships and all of that are won at the line of scrimmage. I think Biedenboe will catch up the OU line back to where it used to be. But I think Todd Bates is going to hit the ground running. He already has. And it looks to be an impactful uh, recruiter. Nonetheless, what he's going to be able to do on the field with these guys. So for me, that's that's a pretty easy one. It's Todd Bates. Uh, and I, I don't question that one at all. Would you agree, though, that he probably has the – Maybe the lowest. I want to phrase this the right way. I guess the the uh, least to work with. I guess on the field coming back this year, you don't have Perry on Winfrey. Um, you've got Jalen Redmond, but other than that, you've got just a bunch of guys there that who knows what you can get out of. I'd, I would probably give that award to Brandon Hall at the safety position, just in terms of unproven, uh, you know, talent. I guess at that position, but. You know, we, we've heard a lot of good things from from Todd Bates as far as the guys that are still in that room. You know, you've got Josh Ellison, uh, Jordan Kelly. Let's not forget Jalen Redmond's going to be back for another season as Kelvin well. As well. So that was Kelvin one Gilliam. area that, that Grinch and Co. was vastly approving on was recruiting yeah. the defensive line. So he, yeah. I don't, I don't think the defensive line. It's young, but I don't think it's in a bad shape. And watch your mouth, Adam, because you know he's going to write a poem about you if he hears this. So just be careful. <laughs> and let's not forget too Isaiah Coe and Jeffrey Johnson, the from the transfer portal is going to be another Mm -hmm. guy that's going to should be able to come into play right away guys i do want to get your thoughts and again this could be you might have an answer for it you might not but is there anybody on this on the defensive side of the football that you think could be going through a position change this spring and on uh, all throughout summer workouts because i've got i've got two in mind but i'll kick it off with you one of them that is correct seems like the obvious answer yeah i mean are you considering like a billy bowman going from nickel to safety or no okay like, You're talking about I mean, a, a true position change. A true position change. Right, yes, give, I've got. Give, I've give got, us a second here. Clayton I've got Smith. David Aguebu. No, I, I've got David Aguebu. The online roster has him listed. I think six foot four, two hundred forty eight pounds yeah, right now. Defensive. I have. I have no clue where he's going to fit in Brent Venables' defensive scheme. Um, does he stay inside at one of the middle linebacker positions, or does B, BV decide that you know we want to put a little bit of weight on him and? Play him as a stand-up defensive end out on the edge. I'm not sure, but uh, who the would other be the one, second one? Hang on, Tyler. Ethan Downs. I mean, there's a lot of guys that no. schematically just need a new home. Like they may have been an inside guy under Grinch, but now they're an outside guy under Venables. I'll give you a hint. He's he was probably he he was your best player in the secondary last year when he was healthy. Key Lawrence. Nope. Woody Washington. I've got Woody Washington on here. He played most of the year last season at corner, but 
you've got a little bit more added depth at the cornerback position right now. Like I said, with CJ Colton hopping on board now, you want to get your best five defensive backs on on the field. That's something that Venables uh, has talked about and Todd Roof has talked about it, you know, or Ted Roof, I should say, uh, has talked about it pre- at previous times. So do you look to move Woody Washington back to one of those safety positions um, something that he played extremely well in, especially in that Peach Bowl uh, against LSU. He was kind of a shining player in that one. But well, I, I think that that's one where I'll be excited to see where Woody ends up. Well, let me ask you this. Where's Key Lawrence? Is he a safety or a corner? He's a safety to me. Okay. So you got a, a safety of Key Lawrence and uh, Woody Washington there. <clears throat> and then you're saying DJ Graham and like CJ Colden has your corners? It's not a not a bad matchup. I mean, you still have depth as well. I mean, you've got Gentry. Um, Justin Jamar- Brills will have something to say about that. Probably a nickel, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I guess I look at Woody Washington saying, hey, the value of him being a corner and shutting maybe one side of the field down or maybe locking up with the best receiver in one-on-one coverage, that's pretty valuable. Yeah. Moving him to safety, yeah, he can do a lot more things, but if you can take away one key piece of the matchup or one side of the field, that can – help tremendously the rest of the positions on defense. I don't know if we've seen anything from any of the, the secondary that says they can shut down a whole side of the field. So we'll have to see about that. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, a good point. That remains to be determined. We uh, talked about how the secondary is going to shake out. We briefly touched on um, how OU is going to look to uh, replace the production, uh, particularly along the de- defensive line, losing the amount of experience that they did. So just like we did with offense, Adam, I'll start with you on this one. Give me one freshman, one true freshman coming in on the defensive side of the ball that you think has the chance to make the biggest impression this spring uh, to set himself up nicely for fall camp. That's tough. Um, I don't feel super strongly about any of these guys. Agreed. Um, I mean, I think there's one obvious one. Yeah. I mean, you've, I try you've, to stay away from him. <laughs> you've got Gentry Williams and there's certainly – positions battles happening i think at corner um like you mentioned so that's that's potential i think you got jaron kanak who's you know kind of a freak athlete but is he going to be ready is he going to be able to get past a really experienced um you know guy and deshaun white potentially or or someone else i'm not sure i i don't feel super strong to really say here's the guy that i'll put up on a pedestal and expect big things from him for me i i have i have two um I had I had Grayson Halton down. Uh, I think he could be. I mean, he's a big time recruit. Mm-hmm. Could could be an impactful player there. But for me, if there's going to be one, it's going to be Jaden Rowe. Because listen, you can Ooh. teach technique, you can teach scheme, all of those things can be learned. You can't teach size and speed, and that's two things that that dude has. Mm. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see if he can find his way on the field just out of pure athleticism and pure metrics of just how that guy's built. Maybe the uh, Isaiah Simmons type of role there. I didn't want to yeah. put that label on him, but <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first guys from Adam. Um, I, I think that to, to me, this, for me personally, I think that this answer is kind of obvious. I think that he's probably the best player in the 2022 class. I think, and he's the steal of the class. Uh, Venables being able to bring him over from Clemson. And that is Jaron Kanak. Again, another newcomer where position assignment is going to be interesting. We'll kind of see how he falls uh, in the pecking order, but Sooner Sports has yet to put up a current roster for the 2022 squad, so I don't exactly have his size, but I would say, you know, based off of his huddle tapes and things that we've seen uh, on the internet, he's probably coming in around 6'2", 225, built like a linebacker, can run like a defensive back, so my guess is they're probably going to start him out inside, maybe it will, so he'll be in competition primarily with Shane Witter for playing time, 
Um, like you said, Adam, in terms of athleticism, he's probably the best athlete in that linebacker room. So if he can figure things out mentally, then good luck keeping this guy off the field. And I also think in, in the right scheme or maybe against the right opponent, I think he could be a solid nickelback. I think he moves that well out in space. Hmm. Yeah, it, it would have to be, be something. a very You're not- schematic fit there for me to get on board with him as a nickelback. <laughs> I, he's I mean, faster than Justin. He's faster and bigger than Justin Broyles. We'd have to be he's playing fat. like Wisconsin for me to really start thinking about that. Adam, give me one returning player <laughs> that either has to take that next step, or you're Great just excited. To, how about just excited to see what he can do under the new staff? How about DJ Graham? Um, he's a guy that Ooh. I think his position's certainly up for grabs. You've got a, an experienced uh, transfer portal guy coming in, and CJ Colden. Um, you've got, you know, young freshman and Gentry Williams coming in as well. He had kind of an up and down year, you know, had some really good plays, had some times where he got burned. Um, so who is DJ Graham? Is he going to be a star type of guy or is he a guy that's going to struggle and get replaced? I've got Danny Stutzman for me. Um, the best linebacker coach in the country by far and away. It's Brent Venables. Ted Roof. You give Danny Ted Roof. <laughs> Ted Roof, sorry, the general. So you give Danny Sussman going into his second year another offseason to get bigger, faster, stronger with Jerry Schmidt. I think the Sussman has an opportunity uh, in this aggressive scheme that Venables and Ted Roof like to employ. Uh, Watch out for Danny in this one. I've got guys just, we discussed it a little bit before, just the going off of what you mentioned, Tyler, just the entire linebacker group. Um, Brian Mead. Yes, Brian Mead specifically. but yeah, you look at if, if David Aguebu stays that linebacker position, the guy like Shane Witter, Deshaun White, can those guys advance to that next level? Um, we haven't seen linebacker play at an elite level in quite some time. Um, and so that'll be really interesting. Can those guys pick it up? Uh, so, you know, we've hit on linebackers enough, but those would be kind of the the returning group that I'd be, I'm really curious about. Yeah. It's kind of crazy doing a spring football preview and not having a single discussion topic on the quarterback at the university of Oklahoma. So we'll see. I mean, guys, that's all I have. We can't recruit quarterbacks anymore. You guys in here? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's pretty case closed on that one. Uh, It's a totally new quarterback, but it's very obvious who's going to be the starter here. So it's really just said before spring ball. It was said. said. Yeah. yeah, No drama. So it's really just watching him in the spring game, seeing what he can do. Ralph Rucker's the backup. Yep. So, well, uh, that's going to do it for T- us tonight. T- Tennessee, do you guys see Tennessee got their new quarterback of the future? That was yeah. a yeah. empty penny that that cost them. Yeah, well, that's the that's the price eight, of eight million of dollars all nowadays. So we didn't yeah, talk about bags. special teams, but uh, I guess we'll spend an hour on deep diving special teams next week, along with uh, another half hour of baseball talk. So um, yeah, <laughs> there will be plenty. Optimistic Adam segment. Can't yeah. wait. We'll, we'll see what we can come up with. I'll, I'll have to think about that one. Uh, hopefully they can do something on the field that will help with that. So uh, appreciate nice. everyone listening tonight uh, or whenever you're listening and make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at the mainline pod. And uh, if you're so kind, you know, give us a review on Apple podcasts as well. Let us know how we're doing there as well. So with that, we will see everyone again next week on the mainline podcast.